Before we get started, a quick disclosure. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing you hear is an offer or solicitation to buy or sell any investment. And with that, hello and welcome to the Rangely Capital Podcast. I'm Andrew Walker, Portfolio Manager at Rangely. And with me, as always, is my co-host and Rangely's founder, Chris Demuth. It is Friday, September 23rd, and today we're going to start by talking about some updated drama at Viacom, and then we'll move on to some surprising weakness in the political advertising market on TV. Uh, So Chris, let me start with some background on Viacom. We last talked about it on our March 30th podcast. In some background there, uh, basically Viacom, they own a bunch of cable networks, uh, Comedy Central, MTV, BET, Nickelodeon, and they also own a uh, movie studio, Paramount Paramount Pictures, which uh, they do Star Trek, Transformers, Mission Impossible, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and there was a big fight between Summer Redstone, who who owns a controlling stake in them, and the CEO at the time, Philippe Donovan. Is it Philippe Donovan? Donovan? I'm not quite sure. Well, anyway, since then, a lot has happened. Uh, the CEO resigned. The whole board was ref- refreshed. Summer Redstone really took control. Uh, for a while, uh, the CEO's right-hand man, Thomas Dooley, took his place as interim. But in the past week, Viacom struggles have really come out. Uh, they issued a profit warning on Wednesday and cut their dividend. Uh, Paramount Pictures movies continue to bomb. Zoolander 2 was a bomb. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the sequel, was a bomb. Ben-Hur cost $100 million and opened to $13 million, which is a disaster. And this morning, they announced in one of our favorite moves, they were writing off uh, Monster's Truck, a children's movie, for $115 million. And uh, this is the incredibly rare write-off of a movie before it even comes out. The movie's supposed to come out in January. It costs $125 million to make, so they're basically saying it's worthless. Uh, the interim CEO will resign in mid-November. The sale of Paramount is off so that they consider all options available to the company. So, Chris, as Viacom continues to struggle, what's kind of going on here? What do you think happens next? And I see you've got a big smile on your face because we love this monster truck story. So, go ahead. Adam Goodman described this as his priority project. He said it could hopefully become a Transformer-like franchise. Uh, and uh, the concept he had, I don't know which concepts he rejected, but the one that he kind of really went all in with was alien octopuses driving trucks. I, I, I was telling you, I saw previews for this movie a couple times, and I would look at it and be like, oh, that's a movie they made for $4 million, and they were like, oh, it's kind of okay. Instead of going direct to video, we'll put it out in movie theaters and try and make a nickel for yeah. kids <laughs> desperate for aliens and trucks. $125 million for this movie, and it looks Awful! I cannot believe it got through their screener. This is their big bet. You know, anybody listening should please go online and see Monster Trucks official trailer. Uh, halfway through, they go, <laughs> "The monster is in the truck," <laughs> which was the big kind of crescendo moment of this uh, alien octopus monster driving the trucks. Um, they, they, they've since you know they've thought about this a little bit more upon reflection. They got rid of Goodman. They got rid of Bob Bacon, who was the head of Paramount Animation. Uh, he had this idea, his marquee project. They not only got rid of Bob, they just got rid of the role. And he was kind of like just plowing salt into the earth of monster trucks. Um, so, again, I don't know what ideas they rejected as is too stupid, but subsequently they wrote down 92%. They might be overestimating its value at their remaining $10 million. So I think, uh, look, Paramount is struggling, right? Yes. All their movies are, have been disasters. They're writing this off. But the rumor out there was Wanda, the Chinese conglomerate, owns AMC mm-hmm. and a couple of other media things, is doing a big roll-up. And the rumor was they were re- willing to pay $10 billion plus for Paramount, yep. which every analyst was saying, holy crap, that is a huge valuation for a studio that's really struggling. 
And I think a lot of people think by not selling Paramount, uh, selling a piece of Paramount, which is what they were going to sell to Wanda, people thought selling a piece of Paramount was like a poison pill. Nobody wants to buy Viacom if they only own 60% of Paramount. Mm -hmm. So I think by taking this off the table, they're kind of revealing their hand that, hey, Viacom is in play here. They might be a tire fire, but there's value here, and we're going to see who's going to help us realize that value. And I'll let you take it. I, I think the most on. common view at this point is that it'll reconnect with uh, CBS, but sometimes mm -hmm. uh, Trite is right. I think in this case it might be. The reasons for the separation, uh, which was in large part due to personnel, really is no longer. Uh, there are two companies. There is one permanent CEO, uh, Les Moonves, and I think he's the one that should run both. Yeah, so some background. In the mid-2000s, CBS and Viacom were split off, and at the time, the, there were two underlying reasons for that. A, Viacom, if you can believe this, you know, the cable networks were the big growth business, and CBS, the basic networks, were this stayed, like, kind of cash flow business. So the thought process was, we'll get a growth business and a cash flow business. And we've got these two, at the time, they thought they had two great CEOs, Moonves and uh, Philippe, and they thought, hey, we'll get, we can keep them both because we'll make them CEOs, we'll have these two businesses, and this will be great. Turns out, no, the future for cable businesses has looked increasingly murky in kind of the skinny bundle world. And Les Moonves, it turns out, was 10 times the manager that he'll ever be. Yep. So you recombine them. I think there would be huge synergies to recombination. And you get Les Moonves in charge, who might be the best CEO in media right now. Mm -hmm. Get him in charge. He can get those synergies, and he can turn Viacom around. I mean, he's, he's great. You know, Sumner Redstone, kind of one of the... Uh, uh, kind of archetypal moments in his life is when he survived the hotel fire, mm -hmm. you know, literally holding on by one hand while uh, fire like while burned fire it. Yep. was just burning all around him. And I think that kind of moment is kind of who he is as a man. I mean, he's still kind of holding on and uh, is uh, you know still as involved as possibly could be. I mean, I think once you turn ninety, you really want to be done with lady problems and lieutenant problems and money problems. But he just wants to keep going. Yeah, and, and I think Viacom, it's got a lot of interesting strategic assets to me like mm -hmm. there's no doubt it's a tire fire and yeah you know you think of something like mtv bt all these kind of superfluous networks you know where is their role in a world where cable networks are going from 200 channels to the skinny bundle with 20 channels that is a question but i also think strategically you know kids uh kids and family has a lot of strategic value mm -hmm. amazon video netflix hbo are all making huge investments in that area nickelodeon's got tons of kids content i think that could be valuable to a player you know you look viacom as a whole is worth 27 billion in the market today paramount just got a bid for 10 billion so you're really not paying much for something that could be strategically valuable a lot of people think there's 1 billion in synergies between combining them with a bigger player and i think the real thing is like Viacom doesn't have what's called a shield, you know, that must have cable channel that you can negotiate with networks. Like Disney has ABC and ESPN. Mm -hmm. Those are must haves. CBS is the best shield out there. You must have CBS if you're offering a channel. Recombining CBS with Viacom and giving them that shield, I think that makes all the sense in the world. So it'll be interesting to see how that happens. I'll let you take the last word. Uh, I have nothing to add. Okay, nothing to add. So let's turn to gray television. So just some background, Gray Television is a broadcaster, and how broadcast television works is they have this even-odd year phenomenon. Even years are better than odd years because in even years you get a lot more political advertising revenues, and obviously a year with a presidential cycle is better than a year without a presidential cycle. Everyone had been, for the past couple of years, analysts, investors, and in these companies had been saying, 2016 is going to be this crazy good year. Uh, super PACs have huge war chests. It's going to be a very contested uh, election. 
we're gonna do a bonanza on the advertising business. And then this week, Gray Television came out with an announcement and said, hey, we're withdrawing our political advertising guidance. It's gonna be a lot weaker than what we thought. And they specifically said, Donald Trump's campaign, their political spending is impossible to predict. It's much later and much lower than what we had seen from previous candidates. And that kind of caused a slew of net, of uh, broadcasters come out and say, hey, our political advertising guidance is no good anymore. So I don't really want to talk about the campaign, but instead I want to ask, you know, does this withdrawal, is this the sign of times to come where uh, campaigns aren't really focused on widespread broadcast advertising? Instead, they're focused on a lot of different things, a la what Trump has done. So I'll let you start. I think it could really be a precursor. I mean, you really have so much control over what media uh, you uh, consume. And uh, I can say I've read a lot of political tweets. I can't think of a single broadcast ad that I am even aware of. Yeah. Well, I I think one thing is you and I don't watch much TV, so I I think it would be difficult. But I 100% agree with you. Uh, I think the real question is, you know, is Donald Trump unique in the way he can cut through Uh, He can cut through and get free media advertising or is his brand of media route of is his brands of rallies free TV and Twitter is that the wave of the future we'll we'll see if he wins or not I mean I think that makes a big difference if he's the wave of the future but boy uh, nobody has ever gotten earned as they call it media the way he has it makes an enormous amount of sense and in some ways it makes you look a little silly uh, like kind of like a loser if you have to pay for your attention (laughs) if you can just go out and seize it for free if you have to pay for your attention as Donald Trump would say you're a loser Loser. and a hater (laughs) You know, Mike, I think it is a big question, and obviously Trump's win or loss will have some effect, but I do wonder if increasingly in the world you need some form of brand or celebrity to kind of cut through the noise. You know, the thing I keep thinking of, we talked about Pokemon Go a couple uh, months ago. Pokemon Go was a rehash of a game that was already out, and you know, all they did was take the prior game and add Pokemon into it. The prior game, it had like a cult following, but it wasn't very popular. You had a Pokemon, and all, all of a sudden you had this worldwide phenomenon. I wonder if you really need something with a brand uh, to cut through the noise, and if this is the start of a trend of celebrity sports figures and stuff are really going to have an edge up in politics going forward. The, the other side that's perhaps a little disconcerting is that if that's what is getting promoted, look at what's getting demoted. Uh, a kind of firebrand upstart congressman uh, recently was given a, an important critique on a trade issue from a serious economist. And his first question was, well, how many Twitter followers does he have? <laughs> it literally was a yes. Um, and uh, this is, you know, a, you know, of course, PhD, but a, but, a, but a serious person with an important critique of public policy getting dismissed because he didn't have uh, enough Twitter followers. And uh, so it's increasingly how these guys think. Yeah. So I, do you think it means like the end of kind of the career politician where maybe career politicians become more senior advisors and there are more people who are kind of more just faces of the campaign who run the campaign? It really could be. really could be. Yeah, no, it's going to totally change. I mean, uh, you know, we, we're living through a year where there, we're, one of the two major parties doesn't really have a presidential campaign. I mean, there's just nothing on the ground. It's not the normal people. It's not the normal structures. It's very weird. And it might work. Yeah, yeah. I, I wonder if this is the hallmark of, I'm not the first person to float, you know, 
is <laughs> well Kanye West said he's running for president in 2020 I, I I would hope Kanye West doesn't stand a chance but I don't want to underestimate his kind it, of celebrity it, it, but it, it's hard to know who you can dismiss I mean if just yep. celebrities are in it, it could be honey boo boo it could be really I mean, <laughs> oh, who's, who's too silly who, who, who can you say is dismissible at this point well, no one the one who I think has the like kind of Trump's bravado the money the reputation I think Mark Cuban for president I'm not the first to suggest that I think Mark Cuban running for president is absolutely within the realm of possibility in the future. Uh, but I also wonder if you start to see, like, you know, Derek Jeter. No one, very few people are tied to New York like Derek Jeter. Kobe Bryant, very few people are tied to Los Angeles like Kobe Bryant. Uh, I wonder if you start to see a lot more sports figures becoming the mayor of the cities that they have played for and been tied to. It could be. You know, when you look at the uh, opinion polls, one huge change is I just think of myself as a. A public policy consumer. Whether I like somebody, I'm just I'm hiring an employee. It, I, it does it almost doesn't occur to me if I like their personality. I mean, I, I I'm not I'm not looking to date them. I'm looking to get my public policy preferences matched as closely as possible. But that is not how voters think anymore. I mean, voters are in a in a deep level uh, concerned with the kind of emotional personality connection um, and. And, and once you've gotten to that point, um, it's, it's also very connected with attention spans getting shorter and yep. shorter. If you look at, if you collect magazines from the 40s, 50s, 60s, very common to have a you know, 40-page article that might have one or two pictures at the beginning. And now it's down to just kind of uh, uh, TV watching length of things you can read in 20 or 30 seconds. And that really affects what kind of person uh, is the electorate is drawn to yeah and the other thing is i wonder if this kind of loose you know gray is a network broadcaster they broadcast mm -hmm. some cbs channels obviously very related to viacom i wonder if this ties into the same thing you know like uh people advertisers are not looking to reach people through mass media broadcasts anymore that was the ways of the 60s and 70s yeah. it's just not effective to do those big buys anymore the most effective way is Twitter advertisements that are directly targeted, Facebook advertisements that are directly targeted, and all these guys, you know, Gray, Viacom, all of them need to rethink how they're getting revenues. There's not going to be that much ad support going forward. Also, it's a little bit like the history of warfare where you get a kind of offense and then a kind of defense. Right now, the amount of defense you have in almost every media for the equivalent of ad blockers mm -hmm. has gotten to be really good. Yeah. And you can have you can skip you know, DVR, through, you can TiVo and uh, DVR, uh, yep, yep, yep. And, and just recording or just watching things. The amount of stuff you can just find on YouTube that you yep. can see what you want to see and not see anything else. Uh, and then ad blockers for other things online. I mean, you can get through your day where you have really uh, selected out a lot of the ad messages, which then force ads into kind of affiliate referral and into integrating into content. And I think that you will have more and more politics integrated into content, products and services integrated mm -hmm. into content. And I think that's the wave of the future. Well, and we'll end it in about 30 seconds, but Hillary Clinton just did the Zach Galifianakis between two ferns mm -hmm. uh, at, uh, spot. And I was wondering, like, why would you do between two ferns? And I heard uh, Obama, there was a meaningful bump in uh, an Obamacare enrollees after he did the between two ferns thing. Mm -hmm. So I think integrating into integrating into a popular media program, but not paying for advertising, just being part of that programming. I think you're 100% correct. I think it's going to be a lot. The best way to be an ad blocker, if you're Coke, don't advertise Coke during commercials. Sponsor and have the main character in the thing 
drinking a Coke or something like that. So I think that it definitely is the way of the future. It'll be interesting as people adapt to that. Last thoughts. Rangely Podcast doesn't have any sponsorships yet if Coke wants to call us yeah. up. Rangely Podcast is very willing to integrate. We we will happily drink Diet Cokes during the uh, podcast to, and mention them. To be very clear, we would sell out. I mean, we're investors. Yeah. We're ARBs. There yeah. really is no such thing as ARBs that don't sell out. Yeah, and it can be any drinks. Any, we'll sell out to anything, to be honest with you. Absolutely. <laughs> Perfect. So now that we've offered our souls up for sale, let's wrap it up there. All the time we have for today. Uh, before we hit our disclosures, just a quick reminder. If you like this podcast, please be sure to follow and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or Audioboom. Disclosures, Chris, none for me. Do you have any disclosures? I own a little Viacom. A little Viacom. Okay, so Chris owns a little Viacom. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you next week.